0: Hey church fam, you're listening to the Downtown Community Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. We're praying God would speak to you through it and you would see Christ-centered life change. Here's your pastor, Ben Kimfer. So I want to lead us into um, our, our talk this morning uh, through a bit of a story. And I don't know, um, you know, holidays are coming up. And I don't know what your family dynamic was like, but we whenever we have larger groups of people that kind of gathered together familiarly. We always had the kids' table. And I don't know if you were a member of the kids' table or if you had the kids' table, but as an adult now, I 100% get the kids' table. As a kid, I'm like, why can't I be a part? And now I'm like, oh, because you're obnoxious, you have no filter, you think the world revolves around you, you talk too much. That's why you can't be a part of the kids' table, right? So, and you throw things, and you're a kid, that's why. Because we're an adult, we're going to have an adult conversation. And so, I remember growing up, and there there was this big shift. It was a graduation. When you were no longer part of the kids' table, you all of a sudden were a part of, like, the table, right? And while that was a big shift, possibly one of the bigger, honestly, I don't even really know why exactly this resonated with me so much. But I remember one of the biggest deals was when I got invited to, with my family, with my, you know, my parents, um, to a nice restaurant for the very first time. I mean, it was like the grown-up tables of all grown-up tables. And I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about, okay, we brought our kids to Chick-fil-A, because that's, to me, that is nice. Do you want to say that, right? But I'm not talking about Chick-fil-A. Not even like a Table 23 El Corsonero type of a thing. Like, like this was, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz any Tallahassee locals in here. Um, does anybody remember before Table 23, about three restaurants ago, there was a, there was a restaurant called Shapier. Here. Anybody, anybody here remember? Was, did you live in Tallahassee? Can you raise your hand if you were in Tallahassee when Shapier? Great. All nine of us. Okay, perfect. That's beautiful. If you don't know Shapier, Pierre, it's where Table 23 used to be. It was this French cuisine. It was like... When the nicest restaurant in town was Chili's, Shapier was like a dynasty, right? Like, I mean, it was like it was like, are you kidding? It was this French cuisine, and I remember, I remember my family was going there. Like, you're, you know, you're gonna come too, and I was like. Oh man, your boy's going to shape like like we knew about this place. I had heard legends about this place, and all I knew is every time my parents went to this place, they got like super dressed up. I mean, just nice clothes, the whole deal. And I remember thinking, like, man, this is going to be incredible. And they talked about how good it was. I remember thinking, this is going to be this is going to be fantastic. Day comes, get dressed up, show up to the restaurant. I'm like the only kid there. Which part of me should have said, perhaps there's not things on your menu that you're going to like. But to me, I was like, your boy is here. You know, I don't know why, but every time I feel like when like your boy is here, I feel like my shoulders have to bow up a little bit. You know, it's like I'm here. I'm looking fresh. I'm, you know, nine years old probably at the time. I don't know how old it was. But but I remember I was, man, I was I was so excited because I felt like, man, this is like I like status. You know, you feel like I belong to this group. I feel this sense of like these are my people, kind of a sense of safety and security, but mostly like status in this and I remember we get there, we get the menu, and, and some of you have had this before. You get the menu, and you're like, literally no clue what any of this is, right? It's like, hey, do you guys want an appetizer? And I'm like, Pops, I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm learning to read right now. I don't know what any of this stuff, this isn't even my language. And he ordered me two things, and, you know, sometimes you're like, I think my parents were like kind, and sometimes like I think they were evil. Um, he said, well, let's try some caviar, in some escargot, don't know what that is, but is it fried? Right, that's my only real question. I remember he brought this like, this you know, I think it was, I think it was the caviar. That's like the fish eggs. I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm, like ooh, what is that? And like, you put it on like a cracker. I'm like, this is salty and gross and slimy. And then it's like, here's the escargot, and I'm like. This is also salty and gross and slimy. This stuff is disgusting, right? And then I remember like looking on the meal, I'm like, there is legitimately nothing here that I like. And and something you need to know about me, like legitimately to this day, I don't like nice restaurants for this reason, because I'm like, why would I go order food that I don't know how to pronounce, that I honestly don't really like, not really eat that much, get overpriced, and still be hungry when I leave? Anybody? Some of you are judging me right now, that's fine. I remember I was so hyped about going to this restaurant and, and legitimately remember leaving the place and telling my dad, like, Dad, is it cool if we go to McDonald's after this? Because I am starving right now. This food, it was, it was terrible. It was no good. And it was, this, it was this experience in my mind that had been built up that was wildly disappointing as I was thinking about the sermon for today. I thought, like, you know, that's a good starting point because the truth is, is that for a lot of us, There are things, dreams, ideas that we have built up in our mind. And then when we start to walk into those and live into those and experience them, we thought it promised significance. We thought it promised this sense of of safety and security. And maybe we thought it promised the sense of belonging, like we were included in something, including in something special. Only to realize, man, it's really not. That, fulfilling. This is these desires that we have for safety and for significance and for belonging. And so when you're young, if you're in middle school or high school, you know, you kind of look for these in some different ways. And I was in middle school and high school. This is, this is what it was kind of for us, so imagine some of this parallels. But, you know, it's what sports you play. It's what classes that you're in, what friend groups that you're with, what clothes you wear, what you did on the weekend, Remember, turning sixteen, it was all about what system you had in your car. I don't know if that's still cool or not, but if you didn't have twelves, if you only had tens, you were B league. It's what car you get, and then it's what grade you're in, and then what SAT scores that you have, what college you got into. And then you get into college, right? And when we look for substance, we look for meaning because we have these desires. And if I got into my major, if I'm in the honors program, or if I got into the the internship, or if I got into the 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 program that I wanted to get into, or if I if I am dating somebody, or who I'm dating, or who I run with, or which fraternity or sorority I'm in, and then it goes, you know, in the adult world, you know, kind of if you're post grad and in the working place, it's it's career and its path and its trajectory and it's which house that you're living in, or you know where your vacation home is. Some of us are like. Bro, I would just love to have a home at some point in life, right? It's just like a town home is sufficient for your friend. But whoever you are, like we all have these things. They're basically kind of these towers, these monuments that we place our, our thought of, of significance, our thought of security, and our thought of belonging into. Some of us it's our family. That if my family can just look right, if my family can, can have the right appeal and if they can have the right, you know, outfit when we post our little Christmas thing on Instagram because, you know, because some of you, you're like, man, so I'm putting this in my family and so I'm like, I'm blasting everybody with Christmas cards in my family that nobody's going to look at, nobody cares about. And some of you are like, I'm so above that. I'm just posting it online because I'm better than everybody else. That's fine. Either way, right, we do the same thing. We basically put safety, security, belonging, and significance into the things that we build. And none of this is new to us. None of this is new to us. This is as old as the Bible is, but here's the thing that you need to know about this. And here's the thing that I think is is maybe the difference. Is that we walk into the room, right? And you hear somebody like me talk about things like that. And automatically the assumption is, is that desire is bad, that desire is wrong, and you shouldn't desire that. What I think is actually the opposite is true. I think that the desire for significance, safety, and belonging, significance, security, and belonging, I think that's actually the thumbprint of God. I just think the mode in which we satiate or satisfy that desire perhaps is misplaced. And maybe that's the reason in life, and here's kind of the thesis, We continually leave that tower wanting to go to McDonald's on the way home because we realize we're really not satisfied. Now, Genesis 11 is a really interesting story. Previously in Genesis, the whole world got flooded. They land. God tells everybody, I want you to go. I want you to basically spread out and multiply. If you think God's a, a mean God, his first commandment after the flood was, I want you to go travel and have babies and do the things that it takes to do both of those things. You know, really horrible guy. But they did the opposite. They basically felt like they could do this on their own. They had their own plan, their own way of accomplishing that. And so Genesis chapter 11 records this this interesting story. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Now they had these, you know, kind of this growingly modernized but not terribly modern version of how they were going to build something. This bitumen for mortar it was interesting because it wasn't just a mortar. It was also actually a way to, um, to make things waterproof. If you remember, um, Moses in a, in a few chapters from now was going to go into the Nile as he's placing the baby in this basket, and it was surrounded by this same bitumen because it kept everything from the water from kind of seeping in and getting in. So he says, so they, they thought to themselves, verse 4, they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city in a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now what's interesting is in this statement there's actually three things that scholars will say this is the reason they decided to build the tower. And different people will kind of pick at different ones and say I think this is the reason, this is the reason. I actually think it's somewhat of like a commingling of all three. But to take that sentence, the, the basic three things is what they look at is they say they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Now This was city. Part of the reason that you would build a city is the city would provide a place of security and a place of safety. Oftentimes it had walls around it. At least it had people around it. And there was this sense of safety and security when you were in there. So that was part one. But part two is they said, come, come, let us build it to the heavens. Now, let me just ask this. If you were one of them, and in the fresh memory, the entire world just flooded, you might be thinking let's build a tall tower in case it rains again yeah let's build a tall tower in case the whole world floods again so we can all be safe and by the way let's waterproof it there's this desire for security and so they said we don't trust basically that god is going to trust that god is going to keep us if we do what he commands if we go and we scatter so we need to have our own sense of security Let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let's make a name for ourselves. In other words, they said, <clears throat> and we want to do something substantive. We want to do something so significant. We want people to remember us. We want people to know who we are. We want to make a name for ourselves that for ages and generations to come, they're going to remember who we are. Lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the earth or the face of the whole earth in other words the other part of it is we're afraid if we don't we're just going to get separated we're not going to have a place to belong that we're going to be spread out we're going to be dispersed we're not going to be together we're not going to be one we're not going to have this place of belonging we're going to have this place of differentiation what's interesting in this the reason i actually think it's all three is because, number one, on almost everything that we do, we have a multiple of motives. But number two, if you think of all the towers that we erect in life, isn't this true? They're almost all driven by one, if not all three, of these desires. A desire to be secure... So we save and we invest and we create these big monuments, the, 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 the feeling and the internal sense that I want to be significant and so I have to drive that. I have to have this many followers. I have to have this kind of a house. I have to have this kind of a neighborhood. This is how my family has to look. This is how my family has to appear. And if anything's wrong in my family, I can't tell anybody because they're not going to think that our family has a significant. And so we have all kinds of internal dysfunctions, but shh, don't tell anybody because we want people to see us and think about us in a good and a positive way and so let's just don't talk about anything and so I want to be significant and so I'm going to, I'm going to you know as you know, parents and as people who are in the working world I'm going to sacrifice my family to the, to the altar and to the God and to the tower of progress and profitability or I just want a place to belong And so I wrap my relationships around people who will accept me and people who will love me. And I know this person is not good for me, but they're a place to belong. They make me feel wanted, cared for. Depending on your place in life, your tower might be different. In fact, your tower is different. But the person who loves Jesus most in this room still has the tendency to go towards the tower. Let me just be honest. For these three, belonging, security, and significance, we also weigh those differently. For me, I like to belong but sometimes I'm okay not belonging be the anti-authoritarian, rebellious person who says, I see how already other churches is doing. Let's just start our own church. At times, I like security. I don't like dislike it, but I'm like, hey, I am more than, I'm, 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 I'm not risk-averse. I'm like, let's roll the dice. Let's see what happens. I'm not, I'm not I, I, I like to belong. I like to have a sense of security. But let me tell you, I will risk both of those for significance. Saying that full transparency of someone who's sitting on st- standing on the stage right now with the microphone. Knowing that that's, a, that that's a temptation that God has called me to battle with for as long as he's called me to this position. See, we all have this. And it drives us. And what's interesting is, again, those desires are not bad desires. But what if those desires were not meant to satiate? What if those towers were not meant to satiate that desire? What if it was just simply to indicate that there's another place that desires to be fulfilled? What if it wasn't its fullness in the tower? What if the tower was just pointing to the fact that there was someone else, something else towards and for that? C.S. Lewis has this beautiful quote where he he articulates this and. In this beautiful, almost poetic language, it says in his book, um, The Weight of Glory. This is what he says. It says, the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them? Here's what came through them. Longing. In other words, he would say, here's the problem. Here's the problem with the tower is that we can run after the tower and we can go after to the tower. But ultimately, we're going to say, is there more? Is there something else? Is there something I'm missing? I feel somewhat incomplete. We go through midlife crisis because we realize we're about halfway through this life. We're about halfway through any tower that we're going to do or that we're going to create and we're going to build. And we start to think about, man, will anybody even remember me when I'm gone? I want to do something substantive in my one pass through in this life. And you look at all the towers and you think they're good. But isn't there more? It was not in them it only came through them and what came through them was longing these things the beauty the memory of our own past which I love how you I said this is like because there's some of us we, we think about the tower and we think about the Like, oh man that was incredible I just love how he says that this is how we know that towers never satisfy. Because when we're at one place, we look forward and say, man, when I get to that tower, it's going to be incredible. When we get to that tower, we look back and say, remember that other tower? It was so simple. It, was, it Man, it was just so easy. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past are good images. They are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn to dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. In other words, they're good, but they're pointing to something. For they are not the thing itself. I love this language. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found. It's like something inside of that is saying, okay, there's more. I know there's more. There's something inside of me that desires for more. The echo of a tune we have not heard and the news from a mighty country we have never yet visited. In other words, he's saying, what if that desire was God's given desire, but the desire was not to point us towards building more towers because the towers will ultimately disappoint. What if those towers were actually meant to the point that there's something else? something greater, something farther, that those things were simply signs pointing to say that the ultimate is God. Um, one of the things that I love about this is it also kind of, it kind of explains our experience. And when I say it, 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 it creates our experience, what I really mean by that is sometimes then our tower gets disappointed in a way that leaves us spinning. This is actually what happens in this, in this section. Genesis 11, start picking back up at verse 6. says, The Lord said, I'm sorry, verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. There's kind of a play on words here, by the way, that they were you know, doing all this effort to build up. And God just like, All right, let's come down for a second. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Now, this is interesting. He's saying, okay, there is there is actually extraordinary power in oneness. There's actually extraordinary power in unity. But here's what I know is right now, if I let them continue to build this tower in the way that they're doing, what's ultimately going to end up happening is they're going to turn to all the different places and spaces and vices, and I have to do something to disrupt the building of this tower in order to get their attention to realize that they are actually being disobedient. Because I told them to scatter. I told them to go. I told them to multiply. I told them that I'm going to do a work in and through you but you just kind of do the opposite want to take it your own way do your own way fulfill those desires your own way verse 7 come let us go down and confuse their speech language so that they may not understand one another's speech so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city by the way that's I just want to say this that's the power of miscommunication Notice that God didn't destroy it, just confused it. That's all it was. They just said, let me get that hammer. And they said, steak? Let me get a screwdriver. Caviar? No, 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 definitely not that. Therefore, it was named called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. But here's the beauty is God was not doing that. God was not doing that just to be a mean, vindictive God. It's because it's because as a heavenly father, if I see my kids running after stuff, doing stuff that I know is not going to fulfill them, that I know it's not going to promise what they think it's going to promise, as their father, I don't want them to keep chasing things that will never promise what they assume. Tim Keller actually has a really interesting analysis on this. He says when when we come to towers of disappointment, things that were built, things that we thought, in fact, for, for some of us, maybe it was a tower that you felt like God promised you it was a relationship and you thought this was it it was a career and you thought this was it it was a it was a trajectory in life when you were living in a place and in a neighborhood and in a community but something happened or the business fell through or the relationship fell through or the kids didn't turn out how you thought they would and now you just don't even know what to do you don't even know where to turn this is what he says we have four general responses when we come to the realization that the tower is disappointing number 1 is we blame the idol itself we blame the tower itself by the way towers shorthand for idols we blame it itself and what that looks like is I chose wrong it's not that that will never I just blame it because it was wrong and I need to choose different that career didn't work it wasn't fulfilling need to choose a new career that marriage didn't work it wasn't fulfilling need to choose a new marriage that family didn't work I need to choose a new family Number one is we blame the idol, and so we just pick a new one. Number two is we blame ourselves. You think, I don't blame myself. Well, here's how we blame ourselves. We just think the reason it didn't work is because I didn't work hard enough. And maybe. Maybe that's true. Or maybe that's why it was not as successful as you hoped it was, but it would never be as fulfilling as you dreamed it would. So I gotta get up earlier and I gotta work harder and I gotta grind more and I gotta, I gotta uh, think more and plan more and be more strategic and, and I gotta get less sleep and I've gotta I've gotta go, 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 go. I haven't done enough and I'm not good enough, and so I need to do more and to be more. The third one, he says, is to blame the world. Blame the world is interesting. Because basically what it what, what that means is over time, hope gets disappointed enough. The towers that we build are never satisfying enough. Consequently, we just kind of get bitter and tired. You get angry. He says that's a part of it, but you know what I think is probably an equal part that's probably more true of more of us? He says one of the ways we blame the world is we realize that this world can't make us happy, and so instead of trying to get happiness from the world, we just self-medicate to escape from it. And we put whatever we want to or can in our body in a way to help make ourselves feel and escape from the inescapable reality. And I just don't feel like this is enough. This isn't the last one, is to realize that you were created for another world. Perhaps we come to the realization that nothing in this world can satisfy and so perhaps our satisfaction was meant to be found in Jesus what i love about this is genesis 11 genesis 11 tower happens god confuses it all you see they were trying to build a name for themselves but that was also god's desire so genesis 11 ends with this kind of chronology of things and of people. And then it picks up in chapter 12, verse 1, with the story. You know what 12.1 is? It's God saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham, I'm going to do something through you that's going to be a blessing to all people. That Abraham... Genesis 12, as soon as the tower gets confused, God says, good, now I'm going to start showing you what I'm building. You tried to build a monument, a statue, a tower to show people who you are. I am building a monument, a statue. I am building, in fact, a movement, and it is the movement of God, and it would come through the nation of Israel, through the person of Abraham, the promise that would come through Jesus, and Jesus would ultimately start a church to basically say, hey, you want to be a part of something significant? Be a part of the unstoppable movement of the story of God on our planet that will exist far beyond any of us. What's interesting is I started thinking about this and I was like, okay, God, like, how does this work mechanically? Because I don't think anybody walked in, if you've been in church for a long time or at least long enough, I don't think anybody walked in here and was like, you know what? I just didn't even realize I'm supposed to get my needs met in Jesus. I didn't even realize I'm supposed to be satisfied in him. I think it's something that we all know. And start so I started to think, okay, why is it that we have such a difficult, I mean, if it's something that I think we all functionally, fundamentally know, or at least we could put together. Because to be honest, it seems counterintuitive, at least to me. To say, my desires are going to be met when I stop paying attention to my desires and start paying attention to God's desires. That's like me telling my kids, hey, I know you don't want to eat this for dinner, but if you just eat what your brother or sister wants to eat from dinner, you're going to be happy even though you might not eat. they would be like, I'd still like McDonald's on the way home. Hey, I know what your desire is, you know, kids, and and I like kids because it's just like the purest form of understanding these concepts and these principles. You know, if one kid says to the other kid, which is a constant thing at our house, of like, which TV show are we going to watch, which they're young, so it's like, are we going to watch Bluey or something else with glitter, and it's just back and forth, and it's like, Rhodes, if you just watch a glittery thing, or Abe, if you just watch Bluey, then then I'm telling you, you're going to be happy if you watch what your brother's desire is. And she'd be like, no, he'd be like, no. It's ridiculous. So how is us denying what feels like denying our desires and desiring only him actually satisfy our desire? Because it seems like the mechanics of that say the opposite. And I started to think about this. What if it wasn't like a desire to eat or a desire to consume? But what if it was like, well, something that we do at our house. Um, some of you guys, you read. That's cool. We do puzzles. But I love them. We, we go to, actually, the Goodwill bookstore often, and we pick, you know, these little hundred-piece puzzles, and me and the kids, you know, sit down there and do them, and they do it, and it just sits on our table for forever, unfinished. But I think how a better picture of how we actually act and interact is we're like this puzzle piece, and we're like, yo, but have you seen my puzzle piece? Like my puzzle piece, I don't know if you know this or not, it has at least seven different shades of pink. And by the way, this puzzle piece is not just a puzzle piece. It's a puzzle piece to Hatchimal's. I don't know if you know that or not. It has three little things that stick out. Have y'all seen my puzzle piece? Y'all should follow my puzzle piece on Instagram. Here's my hashtag at or my my my, my handle at puzzlepiecefrombin.net or something like that, right? I want you guys to know that this puzzle piece is incredible. In fact, if you put a filter on this puzzle piece, I'm telling you, it will explode. Check the hashtags on this puzzle piece. It's going to be incredible. By the way, I don't know if you guys have seen this puzzle piece or not. I'm not just any puzzle piece. I'm an edge piece, and not just an edge piece. I got two edges. I'm a corner. Get your boy, right? Like, like have you all seen my puzzle piece? And if I can get enough people to feel like they like this puzzle piece, if I can have this puzzle piece as enough high status. But you know what? I can do all of that. I can give this place. Uh, I, I, can, I can put it in a tight box where it's safe. I can put people around the puzzle piece and things around the puzzle piece. People like, man, I like that puzzle piece. And I can elevate it to a high status. But you know what? It's still a freaking piece of the puzzle. This puzzle piece will not truly have meaning until it's in its proper place because until it's actually in its right spot does it realize that it's a part of the whole, that the puzzle piece truly finds what it was meant for, built for, designed for when it connects to the greater of the picture. Let me just say this a different way in a spiritual context. We can, we can look for a place to belong with each other. We can look for a place of security with each other. But you know where I find security? I find security in the fact that I know and I serve and I love and I am known by the God of the universe who died, whose spirit now lives inside of me. And I have security not because of a political ideology or a civic responsibility or a career aspiration and a goal or a family aesthetic. No, I have security because I feel secure The God who knows everything and sustains everything knows me and loves me enough that when I was unlovable, he died for me. If he would do that for me, then I feel secure and I trust him. That's where that piece fits. I feel significance. Read John 17. We're going to read this and then we'll be done. John 17, Jesus prays the high priestly prayer. He's praying at the end of his life. He's about to die. I know, a little bit of a a ruined ending right there. John 17, Jesus is about to die. He prays for his disciples. Then he prays for all the people who will believe because of the disciples' message. He says, I do not only ask for these. I do not ask only for these talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you send me. In other words, the tower, they were one. They had to be dispersed. They were going to use it for themselves. But now, under the banner of Jesus God, will you make them one? Because, God, I already know, we already know, we already saw Genesis 11. Together, there is nothing that they will not be able to Like They will be able to do anything if they are one. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. In other words, I'm praying for their unity. I'm praying that they belong to one another. I'm praying that there's a group of people who feel so secure in me, so secure in us. They're so connected to me, Jesus. They're so connected to the Father that there's this sense of oneness. There's this sense of sameness, that there's this sense of belonging, that we belong not just to one another, but we belong to stories and generations of women and men of faith who have stood the test of time from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, continent, gathered together, praising God. I mean, if there was ever a place to belong, it is within the kingdom of God and the community of saints and believers. That they may become perfectly one. And why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved me. You sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And the reason is because there's this extraordinary significance that's going to be attached to their lives. That they're not going to be a part of the story of just themselves. They're going to be a part of the story of the building, of the story of God. That they're going to be invited in to participate that through me, they're going to be one. And they're going to have a mission to love, serve, reach a lost, hurting, and broken world. And at the end of the day, the significance, significance comes from attaching yourself to something bigger than you are, and bigger than I am, and bigger than we are. What we need to know to be fundamentally and functionally true is this. The name of Ben, a hundred years from now, maybe some people from my family will remember, but for the rest of eternity, the name of Jesus will reverberate through the corridors of heaven and through the hills and the plains and the schools and the cities and the towns on planet Earth. I'm simply saying this, that tower, it's beautiful. But please don't let that tower, that thing that indicated, the thing that pointed towards, be the summation of everything that we are. Perhaps, perhaps for you, I mean, you walked in, and the story of your life is you've been eating at every nice restaurant and building every single tower, and you walked in, and you're still hungry and you still haven't found something to satisfy. Maybe it wasn't this massive disruption. Maybe it was just through miscommunication. But here's what I want you to know. Every single one of us has a tendency towards a tower. And we could, frankly, do an entire series. I mean, when I was thinking about this, I was like, we could go through the entire week. But I just want to end with this. What is it in your life? What's the tower in your life? What's the thing that's driving that? Security? Security? belonging, significance. And would you be willing, would you be willing just to be honest with yourself and say, this is my tower. And Would you be willing to pray for the next week? Just begin to get in the rhythm of saying, Jesus, help me to only be satisfied in you. Because that family that you have, it's a gift from God. That dream that you have, It's a gift from God. That business that you have, it's a gift from God. That incredible intellect that makes you get so stinking high on the SAT and ACT without even trying, that's a gift from God. That's to be used for the kingdom of God. Don't let it be your God. Because you will spend your entire life hungry and looking for more. Let's pray. God, I know that I'm as guilty of this as every single person in the room. We constantly run to other towers than you. Things to build, things to erect, monuments to create that we think we're going to find safety. We're going to find a sense of security in that. We feel like we're going to feel this sense of belonging and especially a sense of significance. God, we know that those are desires that you have put and placed inside of us. You gave us a desire to belong to you. You gave us a desire to feel secure in your hands and in your care. And you gave us an opportunity for significance that we could be attached and a part of and play a role of the most incredible story this world has ever experienced. Give us the wisdom to see the towers that we've created, that was supposed to point towards you, but perhaps took the place of you. God, would you give us the wisdom and the courage to every single day this week? Simply ask the question, what is the tower in my life? And Jesus, will you help me to see, will you help me to see how this piece of the puzzle, how my piece of the puzzle fits. Will you help me to see how you satiate the desire, fully satisfy that desire, overflow that desire? That the only temple we come around, the only monument that we worship, the only place we put our heart's attention, focus, and direction on is you, our King Jesus who so loved us, you died for us so that we could be secure, so that we could belong, and so that we could have purpose. Help us to find that only in you, Jesus. Amen.